Welcome to Vino Week, episode 15, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week, I'm Bill. Hey, Bill, it's Al. Hello, everybody. How are we doing today? This morning? This afternoon? Who knows? <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you're at in the world. We got it covered. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Bill, we've got a plethora of uh, topics uh, this week, don't we? We do. I, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's always interesting to me what pops up in the news. But so uh, we should probably get started. Um, you know, probably uh, let's start and let's start talking about wine crime. It's been a topic. Been a topic for us uh, for a while now. Any, any journalistic endeavor, you know, people who are doing bad things, everybody wants to know about. You know, just yeah. like the car crash on the road, um, just like the chicken that was running around the Bay Bridge last week. Um, hey, they're still trying to find the owner of that chicken, and you have to have, I believe you have to have uh, physical evidence, i.e. a picture, documenting that that is your chicken, because yeah. several people have come forward and said that's their chicken. So they're, yeah. they're still trying to find the owner. That's funny. It's super funny. Um, but uh, it, it looks like there are a lot of people kind of getting serious. So it, it looks like there's a, um, a symposium coming to talk about wine fraud and detection. Yeah, and I, I think this symposium, I think it's there's probably a lot of value for people that are in the business because – I mean, obviously, if you've been listening to to our podcast over the past several months, uh, you've noticed that there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, lately, the, I guess the biggest thing they start out, they talk about the bookkeeper at, at Whitehall Lane. Right. And uh, I mean, she was convicted and she's going to state prison for nine years. Right. And uh, that's a pretty serious thing. So I guess when that happened and it happened so close to there, it was such a high profile case um, that's going to take uh, precedence for this this meeting that they have, I think it's an annual event and it's, it's, uh, it'd be worthwhile to, to go to it. You know, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Um, it's, you're going to be paying, uh, I think, I think it's like six, 700 bucks to attend, Yeah, but it'd be well worth it. You know, if you're in the wine business and you're trying to, you have some great, uh, some really interesting stats at the end of this article and it's in, uh, it's in the wines and vines. It's kind of an industry related, um, uh, periodical, but they're talking about uh, the gender differences about people committing fraud. Did you see that at the end? I did. I did. And I know, mean, it's like two to one men versus women. Right. What does that say about us, Bill? <laughs> Just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Um, I, I don't know. The, um, I, I think one of the most interesting things is just the fact that there can be a thing called a wine industry financial symposium. So, I mean, it makes some sense that, um, I mean, how big is, I mean, how big can this thing be? But, to, I, I, you know, just the fact that there's sort of a conference around this is interesting to me that they can get enough people together that want to talk about this stuff. And then that there's a, you know, a, a, the way that they're getting, traction in terms of what's going to be talked about is all around fraud but i you know we've talked before about um and i think the, the this particular posting does a you know write up on this conference does a really good job highlighting the fact that these folks are in the entertainment business or the hospitality business 
and you know not necessarily very strong in ter- in in putting business controls in so you know you have this you have a uh, um, you know the doors open so to speak for fraud to happen and you know there you know there not only was the the Densberger um woman talked about in here but uh also this person Martin Chris Edwards who stole almost a million dollars from a fulfillment operation uh, a place called the the Wine Tasting Network and he and you know kind of a slap on the wrist 33 months so a little over 2 years in in federal prison and you know you're yeah. like oh federal prison well i bet you he's at you know what they call camp fed somewhere so um yeah you know and it doesn't say anything about having to you know do restitution i think they also did they mention the french laundry in here too yeah, at the very top, they mentioned that. Oh, no, not in this that's, amount of police. Yeah, no. it's the other article, So, which is a good transition, too, in terms of sort of talking about the, the launch of winefraud.com, um, which is a related um, uh, related uh, piece of information that came out. This is sort of the this company called winefraud.com, which is a resource for vendors, buyers, and producers of wine, um, sort of a subscription-based business that will help them kind of, um, you know, potentially track – uh, fraud happening, and I think they talk about the French Laundry and how um, uh, they had a lot of wine stolen, if I recall. Yeah, they. I was. I don't. Know, I. I think that was some weird inside job going on there. That was really strange. But yeah, they had a bunch of really high end um, Burgundy wines that were mis- mysteriously uh, stolen out of the restaurant at a particular period when the 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 restaurant was closed for a while doing renovations and the wine disappeared and up on the East coast. Uh, somehow they find, found it on the East coast and then it made its way back. Nobody knows who took it. They still haven't found yeah, that, I mean, uh, clear. the perpetrators just really odd inside thing. job, inside job. Right. I don't, I don't really know. That's very, very strange. But this woman that's uh, launching this uh, winefraud.com, her name's uh, Maureen Downey, and she's kind of like a uh, – she's the one that actually helped bring down uh, Rudy, um, uh, Rudy uh, Kurniawan, which was the guy that yeah. was uh, – he was basically – uh, taking empty bottles of prestigious wines from restaurants, collecting those empty bottles, and um, you know, filling them with you know fake wine, yeah, making up concoctions, and then selling them on the auction market. And uh, he's in prison now for uh, I forget how many years, but yeah. uh, she was, was multi- instantly she was one of the people that actually. Sorry, I stepped on you. He yeah, was, yeah. I mean, he was, was a multi-million-dollar like, uh, fraudster, is what I was saying. He, uh, yeah, a hundred and thirty million, I think, of uh, wines that he just allegedly, or not allegedly, that he dumped on the market um, in the wine auction and the international market. So uh, you know, it, it's out there. There's there's wine fraud out there. I think she's probably someone that's going to really help out people that are in the trade. Obviously, auctioneers, she'll be able to help out wholesalers um, and just kind of, you know, let people know that, you know, there's a lot of counterfeit wine out there. <laughs> there really is. There if is. you're spending hundreds of dollars on wine that you're collecting, I mean, 
it, it helps to know that it's the real thing. Yeah, it is, and it's uh So that that's kind of what she's doing. It's yeah. uh it's a good little video. People should look at it. Check it. Check the video out. I think the other interesting thing. But that me. that guy uh, just circling circling. I think I lost you, Bill. You're back. Let's see if there you are. Yeah, I lost you temporarily. I'm back, huh? You're back. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you'll have to piece all this together. Sorry about that. Okay, it's fine. (laughs) Hey, Um, the the guy. Yeah, circling back, the guy that um that went to federal prison. He took off and, you know, he went, he was down in who knows where, somewhere in the uh, Virgin Islands or something. And they found him and they brought him back. It's interesting that that guy, like you said, slap on the wrist. I mean, almost a million dollars that he took from his company. And he's just, you know, he like you said, he's, he's really kind of, it's kind of a light sentence, I think. Yeah, I think it's a light sentence. I, I agree. I, you know, the other thing is, you know, a lot, there's not a lot of restitution that's going to happen in a lot of these cases either because the people are typically, at least what we've read from um, uh, a number of articles we've read, the people have sort of already spent the money. Um, it's not like they were, you know, squirreling it away somewhere. Uh, yeah. So, you know, these businesses, I mean, it's just take out a business. You just take it out. Yeah, it really can. In the article, uh, it points out that only 14% of the people that have, have uh, experienced this fraud make a full recovery. That's pretty oh, small. Oh, man. That's just horrible. So but, that's uh, uh, that's not good. Yeah. And I guess and the other thing I say, too, is most people, this is not a problem for buying wine. I mean, these, the, the people yeah. are doing, you know, I mean, the people who are doing fraud are typically doing it against some business. So I work inside a business and I'm committing fraud, be it a producer or distributor, um, you know, or something related. And then the other people that kind of get bit are the pe- the high-end collectors. You know, if I'm going to go, you know, repackage wine and sell it off as something else in auction, I'm not going after a $20 bottle of wine. <laughs> you know, I'm going after some, you know, 200 plus, you know, 100 plus dollar bottle of wine, Um you know, that I can, you know, I can pass off. And I think Kirwan, if you, there's a Vanity Fair article that's excellent that kind of outlines what Kirwan was doing and kind of how he did it or how he fell into it. Um, it also certainly seems that there were others behind the Kirwan. Um, if you read the Vanity Fair article, it's just like, wow, he's doing this all himself. It seems really hard that that was the case. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's just so hard. To, it's almost like he was a fall guy. Yep. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty interesting. Well, not only that, he he was com- somewhat completely new to wine. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. I mean, he like, literally just like boom, he was there, and then he became a thing, especially on the West Coast. And what I mean by a thing is that collectors like sought him out. Um, yeah, or he he sought them out and anyway. It's just, um, you know, it's it's fairly prevalent, and I think in any luxury goods business, you know, you're going to find people like that. I mean, look at you know, con- brands are constantly, you know, fighting piracy, and you know, the wine business isn't any different. It isn't. So, um, 
they talk about, you kind of brought this up earlier, they talk about the real cost of fraud in the first article. And it says, according to the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, financial fraud caused $3 billion in losses last year on a group's review of nearly 1,500 cases. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's it, a stunning, a, that's a stunning number. Yeah. They're digging in and, you know, it's time to, and it's like you, like you said before, you know, these operations, they're, a lot of them, you know, they're family operations and they just don't have the controls that say, a, a, you know, a corporation would have in, you know, the checks and balances that you need to run a business. And they're just not as sophisticated as they need to be. And, uh, you know, if you, you got to get on board. So um, this is part of the process, as they say. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, uh, we should probably talk about one of the biggest pieces of news in the wine business lately, which was the um, um, the whole fiasco around um, uh, the uh, Napa Valley wine train. Man, what a, that dominated the headlines. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of. I mean, it even made news, right? Sort of outside the wine world, obviously. I mean, there's a huge conversation going on about this in the United States, and lo and behold, um, you know, zap into Napa Valley and the wine train. And for those of you that don't know what the wine train is, it's a there's a rail line that basically runs up Napa Valley uh, right along the same highway, Highway 29. They have an old diesel train, and I don't know if they have like old Pullman, what's known as a Pullman car. Um, you know, back in the 50s. Rail cars in the United States. Rail was a primarily uh, a primary transportation medium, so kind of the taking the place of airplanes back in the day. And they were outfitted very well. They had dining, like formal dining cars with you know China, and um, they had like a diner dining car. They had bar cars, and so this yep. this wine train has basically replicated some of this. And I forget how many it was eleven women um, on the train, and. Um, were were told they were making too much noise <laughs> and and told to get off um they were african american women and they were you know it it sounded pretty bad i mean it sounded like they were paraded in front of a group of people and of course you know when you hear people say this kind of stuff it is their truth um so uh, and and then the in my opinion the 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 wine train handled the whole sort of what happened afterwards horribly. They posted on social media. I mean, it just turned into a big firestorm, especially in a in a in a in a um, I don't want to say in a in a sensitive in a sensitive area, but we're finally having a con. In my opinion, we're having a conversation about this stuff in a in a in a public way, and it, it just it just seemed like it. Uh, it handled so the the article that we actually have that we're going to post is they're suing now for malicious oppression. I love that term. I think that's well, I mean, they kind of feel that way, right? Yeah. Well, you've kind of given your opinion a little bit. I mean, I kind of I wasn't there. Well, and that's the other thing that you know I should caveat all my stuff. I wasn't there. I don't know what went down. Um, I, I'm here, and I've I'm, never. I've never been on the wine train, so <laughs> I can't. You know, I've my been wife in has one of the cars. Was that? I've been in the like I've been in those rail cars. Yeah, I've been in a, a train where they have dining room dining carts and everything, and I know how you know it's really tight. You know, it's a train. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like it's a big room. Right. Um, 
Well, the, but, the whole thing was the other two. The other thing we should say. Sorry, I cut you off. They were told to be quiet like three times, and then they got booted. Yeah, yeah. And I guess from from their viewpoint, uh, one of the things that was mentioned through all of this was that they didn't. Um, well, I, I really what it is is it's become a social media nightmare for the the wine train. And the reason why, I mean, the women on the book club, they were they were periscoping before they got on. They were having a good time. Uh, you know, the way it was handled, unfortunately, like you, you mentioned, you know, they were booted off the train or kicked off or whatever. I think booted is kind of makes it seem like, you know, they were, you know, thrown down the, you know, the <laughs> they were just escorted off. But they did make them walk the through all of the carts all the way up front yeah, to get and off. the police were there when they got off. Yeah, and they had the police, and, you know, and, it, and, it, and when it hit Facebook, you know, there was the whole thing of laughing while black, hashtag laughing while black, and, and it, it just went it went kind of nutty. And then initially afterwards, right after it, uh, the wine train, somebody, somebody in their crew posted on Facebook saying that um, not only were they unruly, but there was um, – there was a physical type of altercation. I can't remember the wording exactly. And uh, they immediately took it down because of what's wrong. But what I get out of the whole thing is it's, it's, it's almost kind of like I see it almost as a kind of a culture clash type of thing more than anything. And when's the last time you've seen a company say that they were 100% wrong on anything? I mean, this guy. Only this, ones that are about to get sued for five million dollars. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I heard one of the. So NPR had um, uh, was talking about this this week that I was listening to. Um, I think Michael Krasny actually had somebody on his show, um, you know, sort of talking about, um, kind of to your point about the culture clash piece. Um, where you know it's you know predominantly um you know a um i can't remember uh it was what this professor had actually called sort of this she was laming at labeling spaces anyway she was basically saying there's not a lot of racial diversity in in you know in like the wine train and which I don't, you know, I have no data around that, so I have no idea. But she was giving an example of where, you know, that that's different from like walking into the ferry building. Yes. Um, in San Francisco. Good point. Which you know, and the 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 dynamics change, and I think we should be very honest with ourselves as people that we all have biases. It's called implicit bias. Yep. We, yeah, you have it. I have it. I also heard another sort of related conversation about a physician at UCSS, UCSF, UCSF who was running data on his um, um, basically on his uh, service delivery, on his delivery of healthcare, and he found out through like looking at his data that he was giving like less time to black people mm -hmm. and he was you know he was stupefied he was it's like, like uh, he, well you know he you know he works in university he's actually a professor he teaches you know he has residents 
And he, he also has a friend who, you know, like studies this type of stuff. So psychologist and they got like, Oh yeah, it's implicit bias. He goes, you're, he goes, it's just kind of baked into all of us. And evidently there's tests you can take to find out where your bias is. So <laughs> just knowing about that type of stuff and where you might be biased can help you change that behavior. So now he's giving tests, um, to his residents basically saying, you know, you got to watch out for this stuff. And I think we have to be very clear that this stuff happens in it. You know, it's not like people aren't trying to do things maliciously. I'm not trying to make an excuse to be clear of like what went down on the wine train. And like you said, I wasn't there, but I think we need to be very clear that this, you know, there are things that happen that are not intentional. And by being more self-aware about this stuff, we can just ramp down. We can just ramp down the emotion a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to relate, relate it to a personal experience. You know, for years when I was in college, I waited tables and speaking to your your bias. I definitely had a bias. And, you know, I wanted certain types of people to sit in my station. And I wasn't it wasn't like I didn't think I had the bias. I knew I had the bias. And my bias was I was totally against anyone that had a man and a woman that had a group of kids. I didn't want them sitting in my, my rest. I didn't want them sitting in my station. <laughs> I have children and I relate. <laughs> and the reason why was I knew that it was going to be extra work. It's extra work and I'm probably going to make less money. And I think there's probably a little bit of that was going on. You got a group of women that are getting on a train and they probably don't come on that train very often and they don't know how things operate and they're not as familiar with it and they're going to be a little bit more work and they're probably going to make a little bit less money. And I, I'm sure that this, this baked in part that you're talking about, that's what the servers and the people that were waiting on these ladies probably were dealing with. And when that happens, you probably have a little less tolerance. And uh, I, I really think that's, I think that's what happened. You know, like well, I said, I wasn't there, but I think that's what happened. And that's been my personal experience. You know, I'd, I'd much rather have a group of uh, four businessmen sitting at a table and taking care of them versus uh, a group of uh, or six businessmen versus a group of uh, uh, a man and a wife and four kids. Right. I, you, know? you know, and the other thing, and you know, kind of to that point too, sort of, you know, talking about the bias thing is I, I wonder, I, you know, do they keep – so if I was the CEO, one of the questions I'd ask is, like, do we have data on the number of number of times we've actually booted people off and who they were? Um, you know, if you put 11 young people in there who have been wine tasting all day and are boisterous, are they getting kicked off too? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe they will be. And, and, and there's so many points to this. And, you know, I don't, I don't really think there's a right or a wrong – um, it's just, you know, you well, have I do to think I do. I, I, I'll, I'll butt in here. I do think the way that they handled the incident, once it went down, they did completely wrong. Yeah. They choked, they choked with the way they responded after it was done with the Facebook, uh, uh, bit diving. Mean, that was a huge mistake, yeah. but I will say in their defense, that they made up for it. They more than made up for it with their apology. Well, they're, it was really they're, they're definitely trying to make up for it, but all that stuff, I don't mean, you know, maybe it was in the works, but it seems like that stuff all came out sort of after. You yeah. Know. Several days later, yeah. but it was, it was really sincere. And the guy went on national TV and he said, look, 
you know, we were 100% wrong. We choked and, and he outlined it. I mean, with everything, he kind of, I don't know. If it, I mean, we'll, we'll post it, but I mean, he really outlined every step in each direction that they went wrong. And he said, we did this, that was wrong. We're sorry, blah, blah, blah. And at the very end, he said, look, you know, we want you guys to come back to the wine train. We want to make it up to you. Come back. You can have a whole car, bring your family, your friends. I want to take care of it. And, you know, the club said, uh, no, thanks. And I don't know about that. <laughs> I got some mixed feelings on that. Uh, I mean, they, they they screwed up. I mean, the guy, the, the train, the company then screwed up. The people that actually worked there and worked for them screwed up. And I really think they were trying to make amends. And, you know, they kind of, like you said, you know, after the hole's been dug and you've already fallen in, you know, <laughs> it's one of those deals. You can, you can get a ladder or you can get a shovel. <laughs> so. so they're, they're trying to, they're trying to do the right thing. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that, you know, after this is all said and done, I'm, con- I'm concerned that the book club is taking such a, a harsh stand. And I don't know that it's necessary. I mean, you know, hey, it's America. You can sue for anything. Go ahead, do your thing. I mean, people sue all the time. Well, I think the the race the race thing in here is just so prescient in people's mind right now um, that it's just it, it, any time. It feels like any time that there's a potential for that to enter into a situation where it's kind of kind of going to be there hey, uh, just to use the analogy it's like an open wound um yeah and it just you know this is just like picking the picking the scab or picking the wound again and it you know i mean the the wine train and, and i know the ceo like recognizes it now but these guys like totally fell down on this yeah um you know it, it, it i mean just to the point that like you know is there anybody on that car that could just see these people trying to talk to each other and like put them in a different place um as opposed to like escorting them down you know the length of the train um yeah it's like how do we, I, I when mean, it was happening it's like how do we make i'm sorry to step on you but yeah. how can we make it the worst what would we what can we do to make it the worst possible situation well let's see <laughs> I mean, duck, like duck march, like I, you know, I, I, I'm an 85 year old grandmother. I'm out with, you know, it, you know, a bunch of my friends who maybe I, you know, and you have to understand. The other thing is, like, you know, people come to these things. The wine train is not cheap. No, it's not. It's not cheap to go on. Glad I mean, you brought that up. And people could have. I mean, these people could have been. This could have been like their vacation for the entire year, or maybe some people could even be a once in a lifetime trip. I'm not saying it was, but it's just like the when you operate a hospitality business like that, you have to have that kind of insight into your customers when they're there. And regardless of race, regardless of actually what happened, you failed in delivering service to your customers in this case and then you tried to say it was their fault after it all went down that's i gotta read you this part bill failure in my mind <laughs> i gotta read you this part uh so this is from uh their spokesman you know this is the guy their uh their uh, executive uh their chief executive officer uh tony anthony tony uh gotcho he says clearly we knew in advance when we booked your party that you would be loud fun-loving and boisterous because you told us during the booking process that you wanted a place where your club could enjoy each other's company. 
somehow that vital information never made it to the appropriate channels and we failed to seat your group where you can enjoy yourself properly and alert our trained staff that they should expect a particularly vibrant group. We were insensitive when we asked you to depart our train by marching you down the aisle past all the other passengers. While that was the safest route for disembarking, it showed a lack of sensitivity on our part that I did not fully conceive of until you explained the humiliation of the experience and how it impacted you and your fellow book club members. I mean, I think the, the, the key takeaway here as we're, you know, we're highlighting is just the, the failure of the business to really recognize sort of what, what, what went down. Um, and then it's just like, nobody, nobody wants to be, Oh, I would, I would, I would feel the same way they did if I got booted off a train for being too loud. And then like the cops are there. Oh, jeez. I mean, that was I, not a good look. I, I, no. I mean, so just like just as any person would be, you know, and then just the fact that we're having the whole, you know, there's all this stuff going down with race in the U.S. I mean, you read the papers every day. that And that's just like add fuel to fire. But I think the real net net here is like the business sort of – the business knew. They knew before they started. I mean, they're admitting that. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't, but yeah, they're, I mean, it's a, it's a 100% it's a mea culpa, but you know, I think there's a larger issue here. I mean, I think we've all, I, I know I've been, I've been in wine tasting rooms, you know, to visit a winery where it's loud and you have a group of people where it's loud and it's crazy. And a lot of, you know, it's, it's how you set your business up when you drive through, um, let's just keep it in Napa Valley. When you drive through Napa Valley, you'll see signs at certain driveways where it'll say uh, no tours or it'll say no buses, no buses yep. and, and that. And the reason why is they don't want to have to deal with that with the group of rowdy people. You know, you got a group of 10, no limos or whatever. You got a group of 12 people coming. They're rolling around having a good time. They don't want them in their environment. They want something a, a little less boisterous, you know, if I want to use that word. And there's a time and a place for that. And I guess you have to each individual circumstance, you have to you have to deal with it. And people that are in the in the industry, in the alcohol industry, they have to be aware of you got to know your room and you got to know how to settle your room and how to work it. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's really what we're dealing with. I mean, that could have like you said, it could have been dealt with in a, in a much more um, professional manner. And it was just uh, they fell down so badly. Yeah. And it just and. I mean, there's so many, there's so many dimensions to this story too. Um, I mean, what is that also telegraphing to people coming to Napa Valley? Well, I'm not, oh, so true. I'm not going to go get frog marched down. A, a I'm not going river. on the wine train. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I can't imagine their business isn't going to take a hit from this. And then, and then, and then to your, you know, look, if you're, if you're going to open a wine tasting room, as a winery, you are now in the hospitality business. Your business is to make people feel awesome when they come into your place and want to come back and back and buy all your product. And you do that by placating their every whim. It's not hard. Um, and it's that simple. Every business, I mean, Al, how many businesses that you, that you know that are successful that don't abide by the mantra, the customer is always right? 
you can do it for a while if you're a monopoly or a duopoly, but you know, not too long. Yeah. I mean, like who's really bad at that stuff? Well, like the cable company, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to mention names, but cable companies. Yes. Cable and phone companies also have regulated monopoly power. Um, I'm just saying kind of to your point. So, you know, but look, when you're slinking grape juice, you better be on your hospitality game. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to, um, and, and, you know, how about the dimension of like this kind of news and this perception happens that it's not friendly to a certain segment of the population. You're just cutting off, you're cutting off a huge market. Uh, yeah, a huge growing market. I, I mean, can we just talk about like the pragmatic piece of this, which is like, why once again, <laughs> The word is exclusion, not inclusion. So yes. that's not for me. That's not for people like me. So yep. I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go buy your twenty dollar bottle of wine. I have the income to do it, but I'm not gonna do it. Um, it's it's I, there's there's so many facets to it, Bill. I mean, the whole idea I mean people a lot of people probably don't know the background, but before this train even actually came into operation, there was such heavy opposition. To this train even going up and down the valley. It's that's true too. I remember. <laughs> and, I mean, you a lot of vendors didn't even want their name associated with it, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I'm wondering how this is. I know it's going to impact their business. I'm wondering, you know, I mean, that's a pretty hef, hefty suit. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure they have insurance. They probably they, have insurance. Where you have the, I, um, yeah, errors and emissions. Or, yeah. You know, just general liability, but still, I mean, but still, it's just like it, 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 it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a black eye at some, at no pun intended either. Um, on, that's pretty good on on Napa Valley. Um, yeah, I just the whole. Thing. That's our new title. That's a title for this for this uh, for this podcast. That's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> cheeky, huh? Yeah, I think we we could talk about this probably all day, but it's just yeah. Let's it, let's it, move on because we're, we're beating it to death. But it is it, it did carry the news for a, a a good week and a half, and well, the news cycle on it hasn't died. No, not yet. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still. I, I'm still. I think as <laughs> or as uh, late as Thursday, there was an article in the press demo. I mean, so it's still you know it's sort of carrying weight with folks. I. You know, and wine and wine has a perception of being, you know, predominantly, you know, just like a lot of business by white men. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, you know, here we are. See, I told you. <laughs> yeah. It's it's oh. not. Yeah. Val- validation. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, really? All yeah. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how it. Uh, yeah. It doesn't seem to be dying down. And uh, I guess they can't they can't apologize enough. So. It's just kind of cool. yeah. Well, so so speaking of heat, because <laughs> that was a hot topic. Um, I'm trying to get better on my segues. The um, yeah, we there's a lot of fair a fair amount of traffic this week and sort of wine with regard to um, kind of taking care of it and, and and you know wine doesn't like heat very very much. We've talked a lot about this. Um, I think even last summer we did the. Was it last summer we did the the whole sort of I, we won't call it scientific test where we basically left wine in the trunk of your car? Very unscientific. <laughs> but it you know it's a live product. It does not do well uh, when it gets when it gets hot. And in fact, you'll cook your wine um, 
and it's, you know, it used to be, you know, sort of be a, uh, you know, kind of say it jokingly, but it's really true. You know, when you buy these bottles of wine, you know, don't store them next to, you know, don't put them on the counter next to the stove. Not a good idea. No. Um, but um, the other, you know, the other interesting thing that you that you had sent over was the um, the temperature of wine. Yeah, that's kind of like my. Uh, <laughs> I was at eight. We we went to eight last night, and it's a it's a restaurant here locally. You know about it, and uh, I won't go into the details. But um, Terry had a champagne cocktail to start out with, and I elected for a you know a glass of red Zinfandel, and um, it was it came to the table and it was like it was room temp, and it was just like it was room temp, but it was too hot to drink. It was awful. So, I mean, this happens all the time in the in the food service industry. I, I don't know, you know, people are, they're so attentive to their food and the preparation of their foods, their salads, you know, whatever they're doing, but they really don't pay attention to how they serve uh, their, their wine. Yeah, I, 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 th- I, I honestly think most the vast majority of restaurants are, are not only inattentive to that, but they're also inattentive to their food and their service. I mean, when I go out um, and, and eat at a place and I, I get something delivered on a plate to me that I could have easily made better in my own home mm-hmm. I just, and I'm paying like triple the amount of money for it, I'm, I, I, I'm really – I'm getting old and cranky to the point where I'm just like fit to be tied. I'm yeah. Like, Seriously? You know, I there was a restaurant in town we went out to once. I'll give you an example. We went to a restaurant in town, had Branzino. So if you've ever had grilled Branzino, really nice presentation, delicious fish. Do a table side. They basically debone the fish for you at the table. Mm-hmm. Not hard to do. Awesome presentation. Could be really spectacular. Expensive dish, right? Twenty six bucks, right, for this for this piece of fish. Gets to the table, it is literally it is refrigerator cold in the oh. center. Oh. And I'm like, hey, this thing's, you know, this thing's, you know, which is okay. You know, some kitchens, like, I get it, right? Kitchens get busy. It was a busy night. Um, I asked to send it back, right? It comes back less than than a minute later, piping hot. Really? You went back and nuked it, huh? Microwaved it, wow. You nuked it. Really? And this is supposedly a high-end restaurant. And I like I will not eat there again ever. And I will tell everybody I know who the restaurant was and why not to do it. Yeah. Um, it, it just like that that just drives me nuts. And so you go to places that are dealing their food like that. Can you only imagine what they're doing with their wine? Well, you know where their wine bottles are? They're next to their dishwasher. <laughs> I I, I, exper- I experience it so often that I really very seldom order wine at. It's just, you have to know where to order wine. I went. We went to a, a pizza parlor, a, a really one that's been around for a long time, and they do a great job with their pizza. And they serve this. You know, we had to get ice cubes for our red wine. <laughs> it's just like, uh, and and what's funny is people when you hear it when you talk to a server because they're not trained, um, or something. You know, front of the house staff people, they'll they'll they kind of look at you, kind of you know, oh wine snob. You know, you kind of get you start getting attitude. <laughs> Which is just like you know. I, anyway, I, I just the the difference b- between a wine that's served at say like seventy degrees 
you know, you get a Cabernet Sauvignon that's served at, say, 70 or maybe 72 versus one that's served at 60. It's night and day. Well, I mean, and, and so there's science behind this, right? Yes, there is. The wine, <clears throat> the aromas in the wine and the, the, the chemicals in the wine, the phenols and the, um, uh, all of the aromas, they effectively come alive at that temperature. And if you're on the other sides of those temperatures in that temperature range, it either shuts it down or it starts to it starts to have a negative starts to cook it as a negative effect. It starts to completely degrade it on either end of the spectrum. So there, you know we we know back in the day people used to tell us this with sort of out without scientific data. There's data now that we can actually measure all this stuff. So it's not a bunch of people making this stuff up. Um, it's actually real. So, and it does not take an inordinate amount of effort to serve your wines at proper temperature and care for them. The other thing that a restaurateur um, or <clears throat> anybody who's looking after wine should know is that if you do take care of your wine like that and you make sure it's properly sealed or stored somehow, it will last longer and you will make more money. Yep. And, and in defense of the restaurants, I think it is an added amount of money to, to actually serve it at the proper temperature. You know, you can always get good glassware. You know, you're going to spend a little bit more money. But typically, you're just in a bar situation. You got your rums, your gins, everything. You have them just sitting there in their bins. Yeah. And they're at the temperature, whatever the restaurant is. Yeah. And you have your red wines there, too. The whites are in the fridge, typically. So... How are you gonna How are you gonna serve the reds at the proper temperature? Oh come on! Come on, a little a little wine. Yeah. <laughs> what are you little, gonna do? You have... Yeah, a little wine fridge yep. and um, one for red, one for white. I mean, how many bottles of red wine are you gonna have by the glass? Yeah, you gotta you gotta make that investment. I think that's where a lot of people fail. Yeah. You know, it's they're not thinking about that they need to do that. And not enough people complain. I mean, I don't really, I didn't really complain that night. I just asked for some large ice cubes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and maybe the server was like, what's this guy want with these ice cubes? Well, kind of to the point of this, but, you know, it, one of the articles we, we sent over was sort of eight ways to chill red wine. Um, and you're mentioning, you're mentioning probably the most controversial one out of that eight ways of the ice cube. Yep. Um, just so people understand, you kind of drop the ice cube in for a little bit just to cool it down and you take the ice out. It's not like you sort of dilute the wine with the ice. Yeah, you're not like pouring pouring the wine over, you know, a, a, a big glass of ice. But, I mean, that's really the only thing you can do at that point. Well, how else are you going to do it besides stick the whole thing in the refrigerator? Right, right. So I'll also tell you that they also talk about a cold mountain stream. Uh, the thermodynamics of running cold water um, across something is an awesome rapid way to cool something down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the photo though. They got the photo and they got the guys look like they're uh whitewater rafting. That's I don't a, know if you want your bottles hanging out on the back end of your raft. That's a whole different kettle of fish that picture. <laughs> that's a whole different kettle of fish. You're not going to have much left. <laughs> um the other uh a couple other articles sort of in this um uh, sort of in the genre of heat and fire. Um, we've talked a little bit about this um, in the past, but as m many folks have heard, and if you haven't, there have been, it has been a very um, long and um, um, 
a lot of forest fires, um, and there have been fires, obviously, in grape-growing regions, but we now have a word for <laughs> grape smoke taint, which yes. I kind of got a kick out of. But no, this is a real thing. Uh, the grape skins are porous. <laughs> the fires, uh, the fire obviously gives off um, smoke. That that the the things that give smoke its smell um, can be absorbed by the grape, and effectively, you'll now have smoky wine. Um, not that you'd ever want to have that. So you're talking about. Um, and I, I also like where this article came from. It came from GrowingProduce.com. Yes, um, I'm hoping you noticed that. I did. I it made me laugh out loud when I first saw it. They even have a. They even have a. Anyway, they have a logo. Um, but um, you know, they're they're also talking sort of inside baseball, like, and what I mean by that is sort of the production side of how you can actually check. Um, there's tests that can be performed. Um, in the lab to see if your fruit's actually been effective. Yeah. How many times can you say, uh, glycosylated? Not, not, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, so. I, I didn't want to, but I mean, you know, so what's the real, you know, what's the real harm here? Uh, you know, like ah, a little smoke. I'm not talking a little smoke. I'm talking about open a bottle of wine that tastes like an ashtray. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Um, what I read through the article is that you can, you know, I mean, you can get rid of it, maybe. You know, there's ways to, to to kind of lessen that taste if you decide to harvest the grapes. But what I found interesting was if your grapes are tainted and you don't know about it, depending on how you um, actually take care of the wine and uh, barrel it, you might not notice it as much when it's first vinified. But over time... The flavors become more pronounced with that uh, that ashtray campfire, you know, that burnt type of smell. Yeah, that smoke's going to become. Different. Yeah, so I, I found that interesting. I didn't know that, but I have tasted wines that have had that smoke tint taint from um, years gone by, and uh, it's pretty awful. It's a pretty bad taste. So, hopefully, uh, um, the farmers are able to deal with it. Um, I know that they have special labs that can um, test these grapes and see how effective they are. And, and you can make a determination before you harvest if you want to harvest the grapes or if you want to, you know, file a claim with your insurance company. So we'll see what happens. But, boy, there sure have been a lot of fires in this area. Yeah, it's uh, – <clears throat> we'll see what happens. So, um, well, we're right at almost – well, we've got a little bit more time left. So uh, – it's probably a good segue into natural wine. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Natural wine. Um, I haven't had a natural wine lately. Have you? I have, actually. Um, uh, we've been having some Fry Vineyards uh, Pinot Noir, which is, uh, I think they call it a natural wine. It might classify it a natural wine. I don't have a bottle. I don't have a bottle sitting in front of me, but the um, it... Uh, um, it definitely has no sulfides, or they claim no sulfides in it. Now we all know uh, the grapes have some level of natural sulfides, but I think that that they're saying that because they're they're definitely not adding any in. Um, and I don't know if they're doing anything to get it out. But my my wife, who's you know definitely has noticed a difference, a significant difference in sort of um, you know the morning after effects of wine. You know we had. Um, um, we had done a podcast with the group in Colorado that actually measures a lot of this stuff, um, kind of what's in your wine, 
like vino grades, wine grades. Do you remember Al? Um. Oh, um. That was uh. Well, you caught me sleeping. Isn't it? Isn't it winegrades.com? Uh, yeah, uh, beveragegrades. Beveragegrades.com. Anyway, uh, kind of to come full circle here on this natural wine thing, there really isn't a definition of natural wine. There are a lot of additives that are added to wine. I would uh, I would ev- imagine wines that are from large producers or high volume or big volume production are probably manipulating the wine to ensure consistency. But there, you know, there's coloring that's added. Um, and they're saying in this article, even things as like egg whites and, and, you know, gelatin and all, all kinds of stuff can be in there. I love the, uh, in, in this one article, uh, it's, uh, out of the, the, the Portland Mercury. I, I love their, their slang. <laughs> they call, uh, they say natural wine movement and they, they kind of equate it to hippie juice. Yeah. I mean, they're. <laughs> There is some of that. I mean, there there is some of that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to use that. Yeah. Next time I go into a wine shop, hey, you got any hippie juice here, man? Hey, dude. <laughs> but no, the the natural wine thing, you don't know. There, like you said, there's no formal definition for it. But I'm I'm always I'm interested in this thing that you say your wife notices a difference when she wakes up in the morning between uh, some of the other wines she's had versus this wine that's that's natural. I, I think that's interesting. Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, she swears by it. So, and who knows if it's, it's psychosomatic and all that stuff. So, um, I, I just, um, you know, I don't know. I know, I will say with natural wines, one of the, one of the drawbacks is that um, if you don't use a preservative, which which would be sulfites in this case. So if you don't use a preservative, you know, there's a potentiality for the wine to, to not travel as well because you know, you're not, what you're trying to do is protect it from traveling places. So she's drinking a wine from fry, fry vineyards. Well, fry is just, you know, here in the County. Local. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so you can do that. So this natural wine movement kind of, encourages that you know eat local buy local type of thing it's it's it kind of promotes that yeah and they're, they're it's funny too they're also talking about rudolf steiner here and um they're talking about permaculture and biodynamics um you know they're making reference to you know getting um yeah basically getting manure from that's been um fermented i guess into cow cow's horns yeah, to make um, a fun, funny joke about yeah, that. I, I've actually, I, anecdotally, I've actually experienced um, working with a with a farmer that did that, and I'll have to say the the outcome of that process was pretty amazing. Yeah, well, <laughs> the plants well, were pretty... ridiculously healthy. I mean, <laughs> insanely healthy. Well, they even break it down to which which direction you stir your potions. Oh yeah, uh, and oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's. Yeah. it's well, yeah, I guess a lot, the the stuff that the the person that I did this with learned their their stuff from somebody who'd done a lot of uh, studies from the Native Americans that were actually native to this area. Well, I I think one of the things at the very end of the article that they hit on that's really really true is that a lot of these natural wines, um, because 
they're not using some of the tricks that you might use in a chemistry lab. They're not so standardized, I guess is what I want to say. So um, the author admits that they can have a rustic quality that may not appeal to everyone. I I do encourage people to try them. And uh, that is true. They can, they can have a kind of a, 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 a earthy, um, barnyard quality kind of at some of them can, not all of them. I'm, you know, I'm making a blanket statement here. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely, um, you should try natural wines and should, you should give them a try. And we should probably make an effort to find some and just do like a little panel. Yeah. That sounds good. So speaking of trying wines, uh, you drinking anything? Uh, I think I might've had a bottle or two that we should, that the rest of us should be drinking. <laughs> Well, here's one. Um, this is a late. Uh, here's my recommendation for a late uh, summer sipper. It's called uh, La Domitienne. It's uh, D O M I T I E N N E. Peak pool, and uh, peak pool is grown in southern France in the Languedoc region, and it's a white wine. It's uh, imported by Jeff Walburn Selections. I'll post the info on it. Uh, it's kind of uh, it goes. I had it with uh, I've had it with the with the oysters. Uh, it's great with shellfish. Yum. Yum. Uh, it's super super vibrant. Um, peak pool. Uh, I guess the literal translation for it is lip stinger. So it's uh, it's got some um, some pretty bracing acidity, um, some nice um, citrus qualities to it. It's a pretty bottle. It's uh, bought in by one of my favorite importers. It's nine bucks, nine to ten bucks. Wow, you can't beat that. And it, yeah, and, and you you definitely should go find some of this. Yeah, I sounds. Like <laughs> You'll be very happy. Sounds like I need to. Well, I, uh, it, we should wrap it. Let's wrap it, man. And also, uh, I had uh, last night. I had a rock wall. I don't know if you're familiar with rock wall. Uh, had a Jack's Dry Creek Sonoma County Petite Syrah. And if you're looking for something uh, for your barbecue to go with all those uh, barbecued meats and barbecue sauce, this rock wall Syrah is uh, it's off the wall. It's made by it's made by um, uh, God. What's the guy's name? You can you can tell I don't have any notes in front of me. Uh, Rosenblum, Kent Rosenblum, oh, okay. and his, and yeah, his yeah. daughter uh, make this wine in an urban setting in Alameda. Uh, it's a cool winery to go to, actually. Um, they're set up. Uh, it looks right across the bay, so you can you can sit in their tasting room and, and look at the skyline of San Francisco. Fabulous. But uh, they make great zen. But this is a, a petite Syrah, and it's uh, 16, 17 bucks a bottle. It's 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 a winner. My wife loves it. All righty. So on that note, cheers. Cheers to everyone. Thanks for listening. Yep. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. All right. Thanks again, everybody. Bye now.